Well, thank you all for coming this evening. Uh, let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time of study this evening. Father of grace, we thank you for the way that you care for us and the way that you love us. Lord, it is really beyond our understanding how you, the holy and righteous God, could love sinners such as us. But Lord, we thank you that you have and that you have extended your everlasting and never-ending mercy uh, to us and that you have brought us near and made us your children, have invited us into uh, your home forevermore. We thank you for Christ and all that he has accomplished for us and that he represents us in his life and death and resurrection and even now represents us uh, at your throne. Father, we thank you uh, for the grace that you've given to us. Lord, tonight we have the privilege of meeting together and fellowshipping as your people. And uh, we just pray that it would be a time of encouragement uh, for us. We uh, also have the privilege tonight, Lord, to read and to meditate on your word. And we pray that you would give us your wisdom, Father, as we seek to learn from it. And we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, tonight we're jumping back into our study of Ecclesiastes. And we're looking at uh, verses 4 through 11 of chapter 1 tonight, um, which is uh, running in circles. Running in circles. And a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at verses 2 and 3 together. And in verse 2, where it says, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And we talked about the key word there. Really, it's the theme word for Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word hevel. And really, I think kind of the root idea of it is the idea of that which is enigmatic or confusing, that which is hard to understand, hard to grasp. And so uh, really what we're getting from verse two is that life is enigmatic and puzzling. And this enigmatic nature of life without a heavenly perspective can lead to frustration, discouragement, and desperation. So uh, life is hard and it's confusing at times. And so we need a, we need a higher perspective. In verse 3, he asks really what is the programmatic or theme question for the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, what do people gain? And that key word there. Hebrew word is yitron, profit or gain or advantage. What's, what's the significance? What's the advantage? What do we really get uh, from all that we put into life, all of our labor and activity? What do we get from it under the sun? And it's, he's pointing us, I think, already in the direction of you really can't find that ultimate meaning, that ultimate profit or gain under the sun it has to be found in something bigger, something higher. And tonight we're looking at verses 4 through 11, which is really a poem that uh, talks about how, uh, or verse 3, really a way of summarizing that is life is full of work and labor. But what are we really achieving with all of our labor? Is there any enduring profit or advantage as a result of all of this work? And that's what he's going to investigate as he walks through Ecclesiastes. Uh, verses 4 through 11 that we're looking at tonight is uh, a poem that addresses the question of verse 3 and also sets the stage for the rest of the discussion to follow. And verses 4 through 11 are, are really, it's really about uh, going around in circles. The, 
a recurring theme through this poem is the idea of circularity, running in circles. It's almost kind of like the idea of being on a treadmill. Uh, probably for an ancient person, someone in history, if they were to get on a time machine and go forward and go into a gym and see someone running and sweating on a treadmill, it would be the most ridiculous thing that they had ever seen in their lives. You're, you're exerting all of this effort and you're not going anywhere, right? You're not, you're not achieving anything or riding a bicycle that doesn't go anywhere, a stationary bicycle. Uh, we kind of, uh, we, we feel like at times life is that way. Like it's just, we're running in circles and it's a never ending cycle. Uh, he addresses that in this poem. Uh, are we really getting anywhere? Things come and go. Everything is cyclical. The more things change, the more they seem to stay the same. Is there any profit, any advantage in pursuing our desires or in achieving new things? What does our labor get us if we are soon forgotten? Verse 11. So this, this poem kind of leaps off of that question in verse 3. What's the profit? What's the gain under the sun? But then sets us up for what's to come. And so in verses 4 through 11, he addresses the cyclical pattern of nature and of life. And what we're going to see as we walk through Ecclesiastes is that a lot of the things that he comments on are based on observation. And really, that's, that's a key component of a lot of biblical wisdom literature, is things that the, the biblical writer, the sage, the wise man observes in life, observes in the world. And so you can read Proverbs and you can see where he's observed certain things that happen a certain way. And so he's providing uh, wisdom about those things that he's seen work a certain way. So for example, someone sets a trap, but often that trap ends up getting sprung on them. They fall into it themselves. Uh, he says in Proverbs, those who are lazy, well, they tend toward ruin, don't they? But those who are industrious and diligent, they tend toward profit and, and wealth. Those are observations. Well, he's doing something similar in Ecclesiastes as well. He's observing life and the way things work in the world. And one of the things that he observes is just how everything in the world has the cyclical pattern to it. And so we have a, a cyclical uh, pattern versus the enduring he talks about in verse four and really sets up a contrast in verse four between that which endures and that which comes and goes. And so he says in verse four, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. So you have something that is set, something that is established, something that is firm the earth. But within the world, you have things come and go. Generations come and go, he says. The Hebrew word there for generations is, it's pronounced door. Uh, and it can refer to a human generation in the sense of a generation of people that live and then die. And then someone follows in their place. The root idea, though, of this word is that which is circular, that which is cyclical or circular motion. 
And so one way of understanding verse 4 is that really what he's, it's kind of like the thesis statement for the whole rest of the poem of we have that which is cyclical and recurring versus that which is steady and secure. So the earth is firm, but then within the world, we have all of this cyclical circular motion going on. And so Graham Ogden says verse four contrasts a circular movement within nature with the steadfast and immovable earth. So our experience under the sun, which is another way of saying on the earth, is full of all these patterns and cycles. And he gives us some examples. Verse five, we see the cyclical pattern of the days with the rising and the setting of the sun. So he says in verse five, the sun rises and the sun sets, and then it hurries back it labors, to use a, uh, a key word in Ecclesiastes, it labors to get back where it rises again. And so he views the sun in this kind of never-ending work that just day after day after day, it's the same, a cyclical pattern. In verse 6, we see, uh, or in this, we see an emphasis on the constancy of movement. So the sun is always moving. I guess literally we could say from a scientific perspective, the earth is always rotating on its axis. But from a kind of a um, figurative standpoint, the sun is always moving. It's always working. Never ceasing activity, which constantly repeats itself. And then we see the cyclical pattern of the wind in verse 6. So the sun rises and sets, and it comes back again the next day. In verse 6, he says, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round goes, ever returning on its course. Verse 6 has several terms in it that have this idea of rotation or of returning, of going and returning, coming around again. And really it's the idea of uh, the wind blows and that pocket of air goes who knows where, right? It just keeps on moving. And eventually it kind of comes around again. It, the, the wind shifts, the wind changes, and it's, there's this constant movement and motion uh, ever returning on its course, he says. And what's interesting is that in verse 5, he used the sun as an example, which the sun is east and west, right? But in verse 6, he mentions the wind north and south. And so in verses 5 and 6 together, what we have is all four directions, showing that the whole world is kind of working this way of things working in cycle and pattern, repetition. And then we see in verse 7 the cyclical pattern of the water. He says, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. And in a way, I don't know that as an ancient, he necessarily understands the full water cycle as we would understand it from a scientific perspective. But we understand how the water cycle works, right? I mean, the water uh, is evaporated. It goes up into the air, goes up, it forms clouds condensation nuclei attached to those uh, that water vapor in the clouds it gets heavy enough it falls 
the rain falls and how does the water flow? It flows from the higher levels to the lower levels, right? So it comes down the hills and the mountains. It goes into the streams. And where do all streams lead? They lead to the sea, right? To the ocean. Well, what happens to that water in the ocean? Well, it gets evaporated, right? And goes back up in the clouds and the whole thing starts over again. You have this never ending cycle of water continually flowing. Water keeps going into the ocean, but he says it never gets full. So you, it's this constant pattern. So he says, uh, Graham Ogden says in his commentary, the never ending motion within nature does not move toward completion. It knows only constant and cyclic motion. And he, he says that on the basis of verse seven with the sea. So the sea keeps, keeps getting filled up, but really it never gets full, does it? It, it? it never arrives at its goal. There's never a completion point with the water going into the sea. It just keeps going and going, recycling. And so then we, in verse 8, we see the cyclical pattern of human activity. So we, ha we had the sun keeps going around. The wind keeps blowing around and coming back again. The water keeps moving and coming, keeps recycling. And now human activities. Verse 8 says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Verse 8 is, is really difficult to make sense of, especially the statement right after wearisome where it says more than one can say. Uh, a very basic, like wooden translation there is, man cannot speak. And so translations try to figure out how does that fit into what this verse is saying? And so the NIV and a lot of translations take it in the sense of this is how laborious and wearisome life is more than we can even describe, more than we can even say. But in the King James, you can see kind of the more the, the wooden translation or the literal translation of it. Uh, all things are full of labor which I actually like the translation labor there more than wearisome because wearisome has the connotation of that which is really negative, doesn't it? Wearisome is like, oh, this is negative. This is toiling. This is frustrating. But the word really is just work, labor. All things are full of work, of labor. And then man cannot utter it. And see, in, in the King James, they'll italicize the words that aren't in the original language. So here they have italicized it. It literally just says, man cannot speak. Man cannot utter. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, I really liked what Graham Ogden did with this because what he did is he showed how there are three statements in verse 8 that are all parallel, that all have to do with human activity that are never-ending. And so... The first one is speech. You can just talk and talk and talk, and there's really a never ending to your words, is there? You, you can never run out of words. Well, what about the things that your eyes see? Can your eyes ever run out of things to see? 
They really can't. You can see and you just keep on seeing, right? What about, can your ears ever get filled up with the words that they can hear? No, they just keep on hearing, right? And so uh, basically what you have then in verse 8 is a continuation of this pattern of the cyclical and of never being done, never being completed, never being filled up. Human labor just keeps on going. Um, Human speech keeps on going. The mouth never runs out of things to say. It can say a million words, and then it can say a million plus one, right? It just keeps on going. The eye never runs out of things to see. You can keep seeing new things. The ear never runs out of things to hear. And so what we had then is basically like the sea is never filled up through the water keeps flowing into it. So the words that people can speak are limitless. The things that people can see are limitless and the things that people can hear are limitless. So water keeps going into the ocean, but it never fills up. Sights keep going into our eyes, but they're never done seeing. Words keep going into our ears, but they're never done hearing. It continues the same image of the sea in verse seven. And so Graham Ogden says this, the ceaseless activity which has already been exemplified in the natural world of sun, wind, and stream in verses five through seven is true also of the human world. Things just keep on going and moving and repeating themselves in cycles. Because of that, we have really an illusion, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, that there are things that are new. But really, because of this cyclical pattern, they're actually old. So we think things are new, but they're really actually old. And so in verse 9, we see the repetitive nature of human achievement. Verse 9 says, what has been done will be done again. Uh, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And so what he's saying is, because of this cyclical pattern that we see in the world as well as in human activity, things that we think are new are actually reproductions or reinventions of things that have already been. We think there are new ideas out there, but really they're just rehash of old ideas. I'll give you an example. Um, A modern church cult, a modern church heresy is uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness that deny the deity of Christ. Well, that's really just a redressed up ancient church heresy of Arianism. Just a new thing dressed up, or just an old thing dressed up in new clothes. And so, and that can apply to all sorts of areas of human endeavors and activities. So we have also then the deceptive appearance of the new. Verse 10, he says, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? And he says, No, not really. He says, It was already here. Long ago, it was here before our time. So even things that people think are new are really just new to them. But in the in the scheme of the world, they've been here all the time. They've been here a long time. So there's the the appearance of newness, but it's really an illusion. 
So he says, the world remains, yet within it there is a flow, a cycle of regular and unceasing activity. Such cyclic motion may give the impression that certain occurrences are actually new and novel. Kohelet, that is the writer of Ecclesiastes, he suggests that what appears new is but the recurrence of some aspect of the past. It is new only to the one who newly experiences it. So there's this continual cycle, this movement. Newness is not a category for describing this worldly matters. Here we're getting to the meaning. What is he really getting at in this poem? Kohelet has asked, verse 3, whether Yitron, that is profit or advantage, is attainable under the sun. He now suggests in verse 10 that under the sun is not the appropriate place to look for Yitron, neither is it the appropriate place to look for something that is really new. Because what, you th- what we think is new is really just the old. For that which is completely new, we must step outside this world and think in otherworldly terms. So we have to think beyond the sun, don't we? To find something that is really new and something also that is truly profitable and is gain. And in verse 11, here today, gone tomorrow, he says, no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So you remember verse 3 was kind of his opening question to his whole quest. Is there any profit? Is there any gain? Is there any advantage in all the work and labor that we toil with under the sun? And one of the things that we think is, well, at least if I work hard at something and accomplish something, it will be remembered. Well, he kind of blows that away in verse 11, doesn't he? When he says, the generations that come later, they don't remember the people that came before. Their works are not remembered by them. And so Graham Ogden says, one cannot expect to live on in the collective memory and thus have an afterlife, so to speak. Such hope is illusory. And so we might think, well, that's really depressing. But actually what the, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing is he is pulling out the carpet from underneath us, if you will, if we try to put our footing on that which is not solid, which is the hope that people will remember what we've done in generations future. So in other words, if we live our lives and the goal and the purpose and the meaning of our lives is to leave a legacy, to accomplish something great so that people will remember our name, he says that hope is an illusion because people will forget. In other words, your gain, your profit, your advantage that you're really looking for can't be found in that. It can't be found in the hope that someone's going to remember you in the next generation. Your, really, your gain, your profit has to be in something higher, something bigger than even that. And so he wants us, he wants to take away that illusion from us. So then what is the purpose of this poem? It kind of introduces the whole book, but what is its purpose? Well, one of, one of the purposes is it justifies and sets the stage for the study of life and human existence under the sun, kind of sets the stage for the rest of his discussion. Life 
is a permanent feature of the world, though it is marked by ebb and flow and repetitive cycles. So just like in nature with the sun and the wind and the sea, so also in human activity, we have this ebb and flow and cycles. In, in this world that is permanent, but has repetitive cycles of actions and events, humanity struggles for comprehension of life. So with all of this moving and going around and round and running in circles, if you will, what's really the meaning of life? What's the meaning of human existence? What's the profit or what's the gain for us being here and, and laboring and all these things that we do? Uh, sometimes it, it, we struggle to find understanding, don't we? That there's that enigmatic nature, that puzzling nature of existence. So in all of this uh, recurrence and repetition, we struggle for comprehension, for understanding. That which is seen as new is actually just the recurrent past. It's things that have already been. Neither newness nor profit, Yitron, can ultimately be found under the sun. So while this poem seems discouraging, he's leading us to something bigger, isn't he? One way of understanding Ecclesiastes is he sets out things in front of us that many of us would find to be that there's something significant in that. There's, that's something I can live my life for. That's something that I can really put my effort into. He sets that out in front of us and he explores it for a little bit. And then he says, no, I'm going to take that away and show you how that thing, whether it be accomplishment, name recognition, fame, desire, money, wealth, wisdom, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that you think is is your profit, your gain, your advantage, your reason for living, I'm going to take that away from you and show you how that really is not that significant of a reason for your living. And you say, wow, that's discouraging. No, because he wants us to give, he wants to give us something bigger. So he shows us these different things and then he knocks them down so that we will see what the ultimate purpose of life is. So in this poem, he says newness is not really something that you can strive for, not something you can really attain. Your memory, people remembering you and leaving a legacy that people will remember and read about you in history books, it's not going to happen. People are going to forget about you. That's not a reason or for your purpose or existence in life. Really, Newness or profit cannot be found under the sun. The poem alerts us. This is Craig Bartholomew in his commentary. He says this poem in verses 4 through 11 alerts us to, to two key issues that Kohelet, the preacher, will struggle with as he explores the benefit of labor and thus the meaning of life. One is the repetitiveness of history. We've seen that in the cyclical nature that he described. And also the fact that people are not remembered. If on the basis of observation, one concludes that history is endlessly repetitive, then it is indeed hard to see the value of labor and of life. 
So if, if everything just comes around in circles and keeps going around again, and that's how history is, and that's how human life is, it'll be difficult to find value or profit under the sun, won't it? One might find meaning then in the fact that one's hard work and achievement will be remembered. But as the poem notes, no matter what one's achievements, people are quickly forgotten. So that meaning cannot be grounded in remembrance. So that also is not something that we can uh, stand on. Theologically, he says, the poem therefore raises the issue of how we view history and of where we locate our identity or meaning in life. That's really what Ecclesiastes is all about. Where are we going to find our identity, our meaning in life, our, our reason for living, if you will? Scripture and the Christian tradition rightly recognize with this poem that a cyclical view of history is hopeless and also alert us to the fact that we cannot root our identity in others and their remembrance of us. There needs to be something bigger, doesn't there? There needs to be something more than just our names in a history book. We need our names in a different book, don't we? We need our names in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, written from before the foundation of the world. That's really where we need our names written down and remembered, not in the annals of human history. And so if I were to kind of sum up this poem the, that, that opens up Ecclesiastes, I would say life keeps moving. Round and round it goes. Where can we find ultimate meaning and significance if there, if there is nothing really new and we are so quickly forgotten? This ultimate meaning and significance cannot be found under the sun. It must be found in eternity with our creator. So if, if everything is kind of just goes round and round and there's really nothing new and nobody's going to remember us, where do we find our meaning and our purpose, our identity? It's really not to be found in this world under the sun. It's to be found in its creator, in its maker. And so... There are times when the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, sounds very pessimistic. But I think a very pessimistic reading of Ecclesiastes is the wrong one. I think what he's actually doing is he has a very positive purpose in, what, in all that he's doing. And that is, he is, as I mentioned before, he's taking these things that people put their meaning into and live their lives for. And he's showing how ultimately they all fail us so that we will find our meaning in our creator. And so that's where he's pointing us. And so he started us on that journey with this poem. Don't look for significance in the newness that this world offers and don't look for significance in your name being remembered because those things are illusory. They're like the wind, they go through your fingers, you can't catch it. So you need to find your meaning and significance in something ultimately bigger and more eternal than that. Let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we've had these few minutes tonight to think about your word, to think about the wisdom of the preacher in Ecclesiastes, who is revealing to us ways in which we need to, to view life and ways in which we should not view life. And Lord, we are so... Uh, susceptible to the illusion 
that we can find meaning and significance in the things that this world offers, in the new things that it offers, or in the hope that one day we'll be remembered. And Lord, your word reminds us that really our meaning and our significance comes from you. The fact that we've been created by you and that, um, that in you we find uh, meaning and hope and purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to open up the truths of your word to us as we walk through this book of Ecclesiastes together. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.